Hello and welcome to the Thriving Abroad Together podcast series and episode 13. I'm Louise Wiles, your host for these conversations, an expat coach and consultant and author of Thriving Abroad, the definitive guide to professional and personal relocation success. Now I hope that wherever you are in the world, you're staying safe and healthy in these quite extraordinary times. Now over the past four weeks, I've been recording and publishing the Thriving Abroad Together series. And in this series, I'm speaking to a range of amazing professionals who have expat experience and perspectives, insights and advice to share, as I hope will support you and your loved ones through this challenging time. You can go and take a look at the past 12 interviews on Thriving Abroad website, clicking on the tab Thriving Abroad Together podcast series. Now for each episode, I've created some handy show notes and you can download those from the blog post for each episode. Or you can sign up to receive the regular newsletter and I'll send you links to download a document containing all the show notes so far. I've created them to help you get the most from each episode, providing a list of key takeaways from each conversation, links to resources discussed and coaching questions to help you apply the content discussed to your situation. Now, if you're listening to this on the Thriving Abroad website, remember you can subscribe to this podcast series on any of the major podcasting hosts, such as iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or Google Play. So on to today's podcast episode. In this episode, I speak to Jodie Harris. Jodie is an ICF ACC accredited life coach, a trained clinical social worker and mindfulness teacher. In this episode, Jodie shares her passion and expertise for the practice of mindfulness. We unpack why mindfulness can help in stressful times such as this and how we can build a practice into probably what's already a pretty hectic life and how that practice then can help us cope with the stresses and pressures of our current lives. We finish the conversation with a brief two-minute mindfulness practice. Enjoy the conversation. Hello and welcome to the Thriving Rule podcast and today I'm very excited to welcome Jodie Harris to the conversation. Hi Jodie. Hi, thank you so much for having me Louise. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> well it's great that you um, are joining us today and I'm really looking forward to talking with you on the subject of mindfulness um, which I think is probably a very appropriate time for a conversation <laughs> about mindfulness mm-hmm. um, and how we can all cope with the, the stressful side of the current challenges. So before we get into the conversation though Jodie tell us a little bit about where you are and um, how it's all playing out for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we are in Brussels. We've been here since uh, August. Um, we moved from Tokyo, where we had been for four years. Um, and it's a really, <laughs> it's so hard to talk about how things are playing out because it feels like every minute it's it's different. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, overall, we have been on. So we've been on more or less lockdown here for. Friday will be, well, today is Friday. It's been three weeks then. Oh, three <laughs> weeks, okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm losing track of time. Um, so all of the, the government has closed all of the restaurants and all of the shops, the supermarkets and um, pharmacies are open, but we're limited in how we can go out. You're allowed to go out in up to two people 
in, to exercise within a radius of something like three kilometers of your house. Um, and, you know, in that sense, it's, I mean, we have about, I just checked, actually, it's about 16,000 COVID cases here in right. Belgium. And so for a, mm. a country of just over 3 million, that's a, a, a lot. Um, but they do seem to, there seems to be kind of a steadying out a bit of, of oh, good. Good. and mm. our children have been home from school now for, they've had three weeks of homeschooling. Um, my mom was here on holiday when things really oh, wow. hit. And so she's yeah. still here. Um, oh. we determined that it was actually better for her to just stay than to try to scramble to change flights. And now mm. the flights have all been canceled. And so, mm -hmm. You know, we're healthy and we're adjusting. You know, it's a bit of a roller coaster. There are days where it feels like, oh, this is our new normal, and days where you realize this may go on, likely will go on for many, many weeks ahead. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And I think mm -hmm. for those of us, like any people who've lived overseas, you live, you think about some of the places you've lived and how the capacity to deal with this is just not there. Yeah. It can be quite overwhelming, but you know we're trying to take it one day at a time and, mm. and count count our blessings, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, and that is a really good point, actually. And I wonder how that is going to play out over time. You know, as the transmission, yeah, goes to areas where they are less able to cope. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, so stressful times and we all have different ways of coping with stressful times i mean i know this isn't the only sort of crisis situation you've lived in so tell us a little bit about you know what's happened in the past and what other crises you've experienced and then how you've developed coping strategies for those yeah. situations yeah happy to you know it's interesting i went overseas for the first time uh to study in spain in 1997 um, and when I was there, I was in a horrible, horrible accident and was in intensive oh. care and, and ended up being in hospital for 10 days. And, you know, it's interesting. My very first international experience came with a crisis. And yet I was so young at the time that I just was like, okay, everything's fine now. And, <laughs> and I went back to my university in the States and went back to my old life. Um, and yet that event definitely triggered in me kind of a, an awareness of, oh, bad things can happen. Mm, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And so as we, we've been overseas as a family for 11 years now, and uh, gosh, is that, that is, it is 11 years, but when I say it, I'm like, really, where did the time <laughs> go? Um, but, you know, in our first overseas assignment in the Dominican Republic, the um, Haiti earthquake happened while we were there. And while yeah. Santo Domingo mm -hmm. wasn't directly impacted by the earthquake, it was the evacuation center for people coming out of Haiti. Um, yeah. And so, you know, we saw a lot of the, the trauma. I mean, it's, you know, there are images that you cannot really mm -hmm. get out of your mm -hmm. head. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And it kind of started in me this process of, of noticing what is it that I need in my life to get through challenges and probably mm. a learning process I should have had when I was 20 and I had that accident, but that I didn't really come to in, until, you know, 10 or so years later. Mm. Um, and then when we were living in Madagascar, my middle son got very sick and we had to have an emergency uh, medical evacuation with about 
I mean, like 24 hours notice. And when that happened was the first time that I began to kind of put together what had been little pieces of coping strategies and actually use them. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was really realizing like, you know, for me, what are my non-negotiable things that I need to get through stressful times? So for me, for example, like I really must have access to get outside into nature. Mm -hmm. Um, And it doesn't even have to be exercise and the, you know, like going for a run or whatever, but certainly walking and breathing fresh air, Mm -hmm. Um, making sure to take time to talk with people that know me and connect with friends and even if there are times where something is difficult to talk about, maybe really, I don't want to say pushing myself, but encouraging myself to to go ahead and say, I'm struggling with this particular stressor. Um, And I think it's amazing about that is that every time you do it, you realize you're not alone. Like there's no Mm -hmm. struggle Mm -hmm. that you have that someone hasn't faced in some capacity or another. Yeah. Um, So that's something that's really important to me. Um, a small one that I've really noticed is that I, t- I tend to under stress, maybe like kind of forget to eat, you know, and then I'm like <laughs> hungry and grumpy, but actually reminding myself to have a meal and to, you know, just sit down and, and eat nourishing food. Um, and then of course, you know, in relation to what we're going to talk about today is, is the practices of mindfulness. Um, and I first started learning about mindfulness uh, about 13 years ago and uh, started practicing. And then as a, as a psychotherapist, I was using mindfulness practices in my um, clinical social work. Um, but then as we moved overseas and I evolved into different areas of my career, that kind of stayed with me both personally mm. and then and professionally. Yeah. So it's a big part of how I deal with uncertainty and upheaval, crisis, and I feel like it's one of those things where it's not possible to overstate how life-changing it has been to integrate those practices into my everyday life, even in small ways. Mm-hmm. And really do rely mm-hmm. on that. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting as you speak about it. And I mean, I, I've had various attempts at mindfulness, I have to say, <laughs> and never actually made it through. Um but right now, it's something I was thinking about, probably because we were preparing for this conversation, yeah. but I, I was thinking to myself, you know, actually, I need, I need to find myself some space in which to, to... Now, I walk in nature, and that is so valuable. So in the UK at the moment, we get to do exactly pretty much what you do, although we can walk a little bit further. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah, a dog is a real de-stressor, and actually having to go out and walk the dog really... Um, we're all finding really positive so I can relate to so much of what you've just said there and hungry and grumpy yes I I forget to eat lunch I'm dreadful and I'll get to four o'clock and think because I've said to my kids they're old enough to do lunch so I say right lunch is your your choice your domain there's food you sort it so if I'm doing work and stuff and I'll suddenly get to four o'clock and realize I feel rubbish and go and grab something not nutritious right potato chips yes yeah so you've reminded me that I need to pay some attention to that and think about that. Okay, so let's get into the subject of mindfulness. Then tell us, yeah, so in, imagine that we know nothing. Can you yeah. sort of introduce us to the subject? Yeah, and, for, yeah what it sure. is. Right. Um, so the most basic definition of mindfulness that I use is paying attention to what's happening as it's happening 
non-judgmentally. Right. Um, and I always like to give the caveat of non-judgmental does not mean that you never have judgments. Um, sometimes people think of mindfulness as like, oh, everything is perfect. And <laughs> oh, look at all the blessings in this difficult time. <laughs> um, but mindfulness is not about pretending that things are all good or trying to force yourself to only look at the bright side of things. Mm. When we say non-judgmentally, what we're saying is by allowing ourselves to see that there's what's happening mm -hmm. and then there's what we're telling ourselves about what's happening. Mm -hmm. And by practicing withholding judgment or even just seeing the judgments that you're having, what you do is you create a little bit of distance so that you can mm -hmm. see what's there in the moment. So a lot of times people think about, you know, the most obvious thing people think of when they think of mindfulness is mindfulness meditation. Mm -hmm. um, and as a practice, mindfulness meditation is, you know, the most researched way for people to integrate mindfulness into their everyday lives. It's, like training for, you know, a marathon or doing the push-ups or whatever for your brain. It's mm, actively mm, practicing paying attention. Mm, um, however, that, you know, practicing mindfulness meditation is what we think of as the formal practice of mindfulness. And yet there's also the informal practice of mindfulness, which is where we look at paying attention to what we're thinking, what we're feeling, what sensations are in our body during our everyday activities. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times where people get hung up or where people tend to say like, oh, I tried it and it didn't work is, well, I was trying to meditate and I was just sitting there thinking and then, I, you know. That's me. But, yeah, right, right, exactly. It's most of us, right? Mm -hmm. um, but when we can remember that we actually all have the capacity for mindfulness, we actually all practice it in some small ways, whether we know we're doing it or not. Then mm, mm. it evens the playing field a little bit for people to say, okay, what does it look like for me from where I am to pay attention to what's happening as it's happening and to pull myself a little bit out of the story that I'm telling myself. Yeah. Mm. And then we can see, mm. oh, actually, I can do that in these four ways. I don't have to do that one way. There are these other things that I can try. Yeah, yeah. So, for example, when I go on my walks, my dog walks, mm. you know, yeah. I, I kind of do do consciously try to listen to the birds and and yeah. and absorb. Well, actually, just let my thoughts flow. Mm -hmm. so is is that part of mindfulness? Because I I always think of mindfulness meditation that I've tried to do. You know, and yeah. you have to listen to well to try to stop. Well, that's how I've always understood it. You need to stop the thoughts and, um, and focus your mind on your breathing or your body parts. Right. And I just find that so challenging yeah. that I end up giving yeah. up. So. So, and a lot of people do. And this is kind of, you know, if I have one mission in the way that I teach mindfulness, it's helping people to, to see those um, misconceptions or the kind of the, 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 of mindfulness so that they can see that, oh, actually, it's less that and it's more this. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. the idea that one should stop thinking 
is a really stop the thoughts. That's such a common mm-hmm. belief about mindfulness. Um, but it really is a, is a misconception because mm-hmm. we are human and thinking is what we do. Um, so we can no more stop our thinking than we can stop our heart beating or stop ourselves mm-hmm. from breathing. Mm-hmm. But what we can do is notice. So for example, if you are out on a walk, Mm-hmm. And the way that you would do that mindfully is to observe or, or I want to always say cultivate an awareness because that's the word I usually use. But sometimes people are like, what does that even mean? But I'm going to use that for the sake of our <laughs> conversation. But to have an awareness of the sensation of the air on your skin mm-hmm. or if you smile because your dog, you know, does something funny, noticing the way that your mouth feels as you smile, Mm -hmm. noticing the sensation of breathing in the cool air, or if your heartbeat is more rapid because you're walking at a brisk pace, noticing that. And also noticing, my mind was wandering into this list that I have to put together for shopping. Mm -hmm. Hmm. And so we don't stop those thoughts we simply see that we're having like, oh, I was thinking about the list. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. instead, I want to pay attention to my breath. Mm-hmm, I'm going to pay mm-hmm. attention to my breath. Um, and so it's not stopping the thinking, but rather noticing it. And a common image that we kind of ask people to consider is like clouds in the sky. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So saying, oh, I was thinking about that list. Now, how do I come back to what's happening here in mm-hmm, this moment? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Does that clarify that a little bit? Yes, yes. Yeah, I'm not yeah. saying and it's I've, easy. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I have, you know, when I tried to do the meditation, I can just see myself now lying there. I don't know why lying down, but yes, generally. And, and, and exactly that, you know, thinking, yep, yeah, but probably not quite so generously thinking, oh, that's a thought. I'm probably thinking, stop that thought because you're not supposed to be thinking about that so yes I like that idea of clouds and just being a bit more gentle about it yeah absolutely yeah Yeah. and I love that you said the word gentle because a key element of mindfulness practice is compassion Mm. um and there there I've heard there are kind of two camps one camp that really believes that compassion is an important element and that would include like uh, Sharon Salzberg and Jack Cornfield, their mindfulness teachers that really identify with that. And then uh, another camp that thinks that compassion or self-compassion is less co- important. Personally, I think, why would you argue over that? <laughs> like, <laughs> just have compassion, right? Um, but the idea is that we treat ourselves, um, as the mindfulness teacher Pema Chodron says, honestly and gently. Mm-hmm. We see mm-hmm. what's really there, like, ooh, I feel jealous of that person. I notice that jealousy. I, mm-hmm. I sense mm-hmm. that, tenta- t- that tightness in my chest, and I see my thoughts. Mm, these thoughts are thoughts I would, relate, would say are maybe not generous. You know, we see all of mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And then we gently say, oh, everybody has that sometimes. You yeah. can see that yeah. without being consumed. Yeah. 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 And I guess the value there also is the self-awareness to actually see that and to know that that's happening. Yeah. Because that's when you can act to do something differently. Yeah. 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 Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And mindfulness. Oh, go ahead. Well, no, you you keep going. I was just just going to say mindfulness (laughs) also, I mean, that kind of 
touches on another important element of mindfulness is it really creates the space between the moment when we notice, which mm-hmm. we, we all, most of us have enough self-awareness to notice and, mm-hmm. you know, hey, something's coming up for me, right? Between the moment when we first notice and how we choose to respond, mm-hmm. creating mm-hmm. that space there to observe allows us to see that we do have choices. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's really one of the the most important benefits of mindfulness is to give us a little bit of distance to say, oh, how do I engage with what's happening right now? Yeah, yeah. So rather than jumping in with anger or whatever, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Having yeah. just had a daughter who broke a glass and... <laughs> well, and that's my, such... My initial reaction wasn't very positive, I have to say, which I wouldn't, I'm not very proud of. So I'm reflecting on that now. Well, isn't <laughs> it interesting because just we all have those kind of, experiences. Yes. Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, glass doesn't matter. It doesn't matter in the slightest, but it's just kind of the mess. And the, I've got to be on Zoom in five minutes. <laughs> I know. And we've always been there. My daughter is eight, was one day playing. This was a couple months ago. She was playing in the living room and she knocked over. I had told her to please not do what she was doing, but she did it. And then she knocked over the side table and broke one of my favorite antique Japanese dishes. Oh, and no. my first feeling was, ah, image. But I just, I just paused. I mean, you know, some di- sometimes I'm successful with mindfulness and sometimes I'm not. But this time, I, I was able, thankfully, to take that moment to observe, oh, I want, I feel angry. I feel mm-hmm. sad because my favorite dish broke and it's not replaceable. And I feel myself wanting to yell. Mm-hmm. Oh, but actually, as I pay attention, I also feel... I can see what it's like for an eight-year-old and it was an accident. Yeah. And I can see the look on her face where she looks at me kind of scared because she thinks I'm going to yell. And it was just a few seconds, Mm -hmm. but it was Mm -hmm. one of those moments where I thought, Oh, this is how it works. Yeah. Um, And there are just as many where I don't do that. So, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yes. But I guess, I guess, and I guess my, my water episode, it wasn't so much to do with the water and the glass at all, but just the whole load of things were on my mind. Yeah, and I guess that's the point about the current situation and, you know, the, the stresses that, you know, and some very real stresses around yeah. jobs and security and health um, that people are facing that are zooming around minds. And, and so then a, a small issue happens and, and you react but you don't you're not reacting just to that one thing are you you're reacting to everything else all at the same time your emotions are coming from completely somewhere else so I suppose what I'm saying is the value therefore of mindfulness is that it enables you to stop and recognize that that's happening yeah. and therefore temper your your response hopefully yeah so what other benefits are there of mindfulness so yeah. it's about yeah your response but right there's so else? yeah there's so much research out there into you know what happens with your body and mm-hmm. your mind and your emotions when you're able to engage mindfully um and Gosh, it's, it's, in some ways, it's hard to know really where to begin. Um, but a lot of the research, initial research around mindfulness was at the early stages looking at um, kind of what we now call neuroplasticity and mm-hmm. our, uh, the ability for the brain to learn new ways to do things. Mm-hmm. And so if you think about, I'm going to be super unscientific in this descriptor, but I think for me, it always makes sense is you think about you have your brain. And if you imagine that your brain is like a field of grass 
And if you ride your bike through a field of grass, then the grass goes down for a few seconds, but then it pops right back up. But if you continually ride your bike along the same path, eventually a path is formed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If you leave that path and you create a new one, grass will go back in that path and you will, you will create a new path. And we're very rarely in our lives taught as children to pause and pay attention to what we're thinking or feeling. Um, mm -hmm. You know, at the very most, we may have been taught, oh, well, think before you speak. Mm -hmm. I'm not even really taught how to do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I do think this is changing. I know my kids, both in, their, in their, la their school now and in their last school, they did actually get the counselors were doing mindfulness training programs. So this is becoming mm -hmm. more common. Um, but what, we can, what we're learning is that when we're able to pause and observe, for example, our thoughts, and oh, I'm scared to do this thing, and I'm having this thought that if I do this, then these bad things will happen. Mm -hmm. Or I'm having this thought that this person doesn't like me because they didn't call me. But that's, it's just a thought. Like, I don't, mm -hmm. I don't actually know why they didn't call me. Then we see things more clearly and we're able to, if it has to do with the way that we're thinking, choose, okay, how can I, how can I relate differently to this? If it has to do with the emotions that we are feeling, we might be able to soften the experience of anxiety or fear or anger um, or even nurture feelings of love or gratitude. Mm -hmm. oh, I, I see this is happening and how do I pay attention to this feeling that's happening? Um, and when it comes to our bodies, um, there's a lot of research and a lot of this comes out through the mindfulness-based stress reduction program, which is run by John Kabat-Zinn and it is now taught worldwide. That program has been going on um, since the, since the seventies. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of great information about how it, um, the primary program was first founded in a hospital um, in Massachusetts in the United States, where what would happen if cardiac patients came in and learned to pay attention to the physical sensations in their body mm -hmm. And what would it teach them if instead of pushing away the physical sensations, they paid attention to them? Mm -hmm. A really simple phrase that I love from um, a, a psychologist who does a lot of research into mindfulness, um, Rick Hansen, is he says, name it to tame it. Mm -hmm. um, and now all of a sudden I'm thinking, is it him or is it another person? I think it might be someone else that actually says the name. I think it is it Seagull. Yes, it's Seagull. You're right. I was like, no, yeah. I'm only because I, I had somebody else was talking about this. Yeah, yeah. So Dan Siegel, I, I, <laughs> I like them both. And I'm like, oh, wait, I pictured Rick Hansen when I said it. And I'm like, he's not the one who says that. <laughs> but when you say name it to tame it, you're bringing an awareness to the thought, the emotion or the physical sensation. And immediately mm -hmm. you see the nuance of it. And, and it can kind of take the edge off of it. So whether we're looking at our physical health or our emotional health, or even just the ways, the habits we have and how we engage with our colleagues and our coworkers, our spouse, partner, children, neighbors, um, mindfulness creates, again, that space between what we first experience and how we choose to engage with that experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Great, great. 
So are there any other, what else should you tell us about mindfulness in terms of how we can use it? I mean, using it, uh, so being more conscious in our daily actions and in, 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 you know, when we're walking, when we're involved in activities and just mm. observing our thoughts. How about having specific times to practice mindfulness? Right, yeah. Is that really necessary or is it better to do it in little blocks during right. the day, just stop and have a little five minute think about things? Right, right, right. You know, anything we can practice with in, intention um, is more useful than mm -hmm. when we simply say, ah, maybe I'll, maybe at some point I'll pay attention. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so that being said, that doesn't mean that you have to intentionally set aside, you know, 45 minutes to sit on a cushion and listen to a guided meditation. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> fantastic. If you, if you can, and, and certainly there's evidence that practicing meditation for, you know, at least 20 or 30 minutes can, and, you know, it's like, well, do you do five push-ups a day or do you do 50? Which one would make <laughs> your arm stronger? You know, so there's certainly evidence to that. But um, I like to remind people that whatever small thing that small practice you can create, even an informal practice, if you do it intentionally, you're moving in the direction of integrating those practices in to your life in such a way that they start to make a difference. Mm. So that could be deciding when you sit down at your desk in the morning to put on a timer for five minutes and just notice your breath coming in and out. Mm -hmm. And if you realize like, oh, I wasn't noticing my breath at all. I was just thinking about this difficult email I have to send then, oh, but tomorrow I will notice again if yeah. I'm noticing my breath or thinking about an email and to keep doing it, even if you're like every day, I'm just thinking about this stressful thing. Um, so you could do something like that, setting aside specific times at the beginning of the workday, at the end of the workday. Um, but you know, when I was, when my kids were smaller, sometimes even that seemed like too much. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes being able to even just pay attention to one breath or to engage really intimately with one small task. Like if we were coloring, mm -hmm. just watch the process of coloring, just observing the color going in the lines of the, of the coloring sheet. Um, it sounds in a way like, really, would that really be mindfulness? But the, the practice is paying attention to what's happening as it's happening. Mm -hmm. So even if that is noticing the sensation of one drink of your coffee or your tea in the morning, that that's a beginning. Yes. Um, yeah. And yeah. I, I, I really like to invite people to simply start with that. Try that. Um, and of course, if you look online, you could even just Google simple mindfulness practices for every day or, mm -hmm. um, you know, how to practice mindfulness in everyday life, anything like that. I mean, you'd find so many different things. And actually a really great resource is the um, uh, UC Berkeley, the university, University of California, mm -hmm. Berkeley in the United States, um, the Greater Good Science Center has, okay. has incredible resources for everyday mindfulness and they're and they're all science-based resources because it's a research center on the use of um right mindfulness okay. and gratitude yeah. 
compassion and everyday living. Brilliant. Okay, well, I will put a, a link to that in the show notes, which you can get at thrivingabroad.com. Um, look for this episode and you'll find them there. Um, so one final question. Yes. People who, I mean, is mindfulness good for everyone or are there some people who perhaps will not benefit so much from it yeah. and some situations where it's... Right, right. That's a great question. Um, there is... A, a tremendous amount of research into the benefits of mindfulness. And that includes for the treatment of, um, you know, mental health issues. The, the, um, the NHS has a mindfulness-based cognitive therapy program that they use and have used successfully in treating um, recurrent depression um, in people. Um, many, many people use mindfulness for the treatment of things like anxiety and, mm -hmm. and all of those things you know, mindfulness can be incredibly helpful for that. At the same time, um, there are, there is some research that for people suffering from acute trauma or having episodes of PTSD or panic attacks, if they are going to use those practices, that should be done in the context of their mental health treatment. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, most people... I think it's fair to say are not really going to have a negative reaction by paying attention to one breath. But certainly if you're dealing with a serious mental health issue, um, it probably is not the best idea for you to go on a 10 day silent meditation retreat. Um, and in fact, a lot of retreats, <laughs> retreats will say like, you can't come if you're dealing with a serious mental health issue. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I, I like to remind people that, and I was just talking about this in a workshop I did yesterday is that we don't have to cause you, you shouldn't cause yourself pain or to suffer to practice mindfulness. <laughs> um, and it's, it's incredibly important if you want to try these things and you've never tried them before to, if you want to try something and you're like, that was super uncomfortable for me and I did not like it. Okay. Well then try, don't, don't do that, you know, try mm -hmm. something else. And really it's important for people to work with someone who has experience and is trained in this work. Um, and even in my own case, um, I work with certain groups of people around a certain application of mindfulness, but there are other people that I refer out like, Oh, you know what? You're a better fit for this type of program. Mm -hmm. And I think any teacher, um, is aware of kind of the counter indications of, of practicing yeah. mindfulness and, and, and practitioners and people who want to try it out should know that too. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay. Well, I think it's just important to have that oh, warning sure. there and, and yeah. for people to think about that. Great. So how about we finish with just a little minute sure. of mindfulness? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, let's imagine um, if you're listening or, you know, maybe Louise and I will just do this. And if you're listening, you can try it too. So, um, and you'll excuse me, Louise, cause we can see each other, but I'm going to close my eyes. Cause that yeah, I will close, close your eyes. Or, or not. <laughs> um, but if you're wanting to, um, just, you know, take a moment, uh, to pay attention to what's happening as it's happening, a really simple way to do that and to try it out and to see if it's a good fit for you is to sit comfortably in your chair or wherever you are. It can be on the train. It can be uh, in your car if it's parked, of course. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
And you simply begin by taking a deep breath. And you can tune in to the sensation of your bottom and your legs against the chair. And you don't have to sit up rigid, but sit kind of comfortably, but with awareness. And you can notice if you have your hands on your knees or in your lap, the sensation that you feel there. Does it feel soft or rough? Cold or warm? And you don't have to breathe any particular way. You just notice the breath goes in and the breath goes out. And you're just noticing these simple things in your body. You might notice the rhythm of your heart You might set a timer to do that. So that at the end of one minute, you would just open your eyes. And having taken that one minute, you provide a little bit of a reset. It's almost like if you had a snow globe and you shake up the snow globe, all these different things are happening. And when you set it down and it pauses, it's not that your worries disappear or your aches or pains or the crisis in the world. You still see those things as you do flakes in the snow globe. They just start to settle. So that you can see clearly what's there before you. And we can stop there. Yeah, that just underlined to me how much I do need to <laughs> do this every so often because yeah. I could just feel my brain just kind of calm. Yeah. Right. Yeah, all that frantic chatter that was going on earlier. <laughs> and it's just one yes. minute, you know, just mm -hmm. simply that. And if you can create the space to do that even a couple times a day, it doesn't yeah. mean, like I said in the, in the moment, it's not that it erases things that are happening. It's just... So yeah. you can see yeah. what's happening. We do a yes. lot of pushing away um, <laughs> out of survival, right? But sometimes 
being able to see what's really there helps us to move mm. through. Yeah, 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 yeah. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for sharing yeah, all of you, that. Louise. That has been so helpful. So helpful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And to everyone listening, I will put links in the show notes. So go to thrivingabroad.com for those. Okay. And thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please review and rate the show. This will help to get the podcast listed more prominently and so help to get the information out to more people who could benefit from it. I'll be back soon with the next instalment. And in the meantime, if I can be of any support to you through your expat journey, then do get in touch with me, Louise Wiles, using the contact form on the Thriving Abroad website. Wherever this podcast finds you in the world, please stay safe and well. Bye-bye for now.